Yakshamash, everybody. Welcome to the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Of course, uh, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Make sure you guys check out Bucky's Fifth Quarter for all your Wisconsin Badgers news, notes, uh, position previews. We've had those going on for the past couple of weeks uh, intermittently. And uh, I am uh, Jake Kokorowski. We've got the Polish rifle, Scott Wisniewski. Welcome back. It's good to get back in the podcasting seat once again. It's been quite the Busy June and July, uh, at least on my end, uh, with, with book edits and last-minute things there, along with just a slew of other uh, other obstacles. So uh, good to get back on, uh, good to get back on on the air here. And uh, Scotty, you know, we lots happened. Uh, and the big thing I, I'd say, you know, we'll start this off right off hot since uh, I mean, you have Orlando Arcia that just started uh, his first two games uh, for the Milwaukee Brewers, number one prospect overall, which would be big news altogether. But then again, the trade deadline for Major League Baseball was Sunday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. And uh, despite some drama the day before, second year in a row where a trade was vetoed or uh, nullified for the most part, uh, you know, Brewers are winners, I would say, uh, despite giving up uh, two good relievers and an all-star catcher. Uh, made some great moves for their pipeline and according to MLBpipeline.com have the best farm system in Major League Baseball. Yeah, uh, first of all, you're not the only one, uh, but there's been a lot of people who lamented the fact that Brewers uh, gave up Jeffers in the Texas deal and and didn't get um, didn't get back the, the Gallo, Joey Gallo. But here's a couple things to remember. First of all, I like Jeremy Jeffers. I think he's, you know, he's had a great season. He's a nice uh, bounce back story. Uh, but you're on a team that's not contending. So a closer, I've always said that um, a closer is much like a closer on a losing team is much like a uh, 1975 Pinto with gold rims. Uh, they look nice, but you don't really need it. And it seems out of place. So Jeremy Jeffers moves on in that Texas trade. And, and I still think the Brewers got back what they, what they were hoping for. They got the number two and three prospects. They didn't get Gallo, a guy who's got a lot of power potential, that's going to strike out 300 times. We've seen that before. And 300 is an exaggeration. But you get my point. We've seen that type of player before. Instead, they get a pitcher. And an outfielder. Now, some people have complained that there's a lot of center fielders and, and middle infielders being acquired and, and not anybody at the corners. First of all, a lot of those center fielders, you can move those guys to left and right. You might be able to move your middle infield guys to third. We were seeing Jonathan Villar play there. So really they need a first baseman in this uh, uh, mix, and they can figure that out in the offseason. But you hate to see Luke Craig go, but let's talk about the Cleveland trade first of all, or the Cleveland trade that didn't happen. You had a, a, a player in, in Jonathan Luke who was allowed to put teams on a no-trade clause list, which one of them was Cleveland. Um, he gets traded to Cleveland. Jonathan Luke is still willing to waive that if one of two things happens. They guarantee him a starting catcher spot next year, or they – forego the last year of his contract so he can hit the free agent market early. And a lot of people who are mad at Jonathan Lucroy and somehow think he messed up the Brewers' future, even though they were getting prospects that were unproven, just like we're getting from Texas, um, what people need to understand is this. First of all, 
Jonathan Lucroy as a DH slash first baseman slash catcher is worth less on the free agent market at 31 than Jonathan Lucroy, the everyday catcher. This contract he'll sign in two years will probably be his last big contract in the majors. He'll be 31. He'll be able to sign as a starting catcher, sign a five-year deal perhaps, and if three years into that deal he becomes a more regular first baseman or DH, that's fine because now he's signed his last big contract, protected his, his, his career, protected his family, all that stuff. Okay? So for those of you who, who still sit in the box and say, you know, baseball players make too much money, pro athletes make too much money, you're going to have to let that go. Because I'm telling you that the salaries are not going down anytime soon. There won't be a time in the near future, especially with TV money being that it is, that $10 million a year is going to become $3 million a year. So people need to get over that and understand that Jonathan Lucre, even at $5 million a year, has played as a bargain for this Brewer team for the last few years. So people should drop it. He did the right thing. They should have, Brewers should have done more due diligence before trading him to somebody on their no-trade clause list. That said, I think Stern did a great job recouping what he could and getting two players that are, are ranked very highly, not just in the Rangers organization, but across baseball. That being said, Will Smith then gets flipped for a pitcher who's one of the top pitchers in the Giants organization. Again, Will Smith would have been maybe the next closer in line if Jeffers was traded, but again, you might as well get something for a Will Smith, who I, I, I like, but I think if you can get a, a top-of-the-rotation future starter in exchange for a reliever, I, I, I think it's a no-brainer. So I think the Brewers did a great job. And even in that Boston trade a couple of weeks back with Aaron Hill, I think they've done the right thing. Um, again, you're, you're making moves. You're, you're looking at ways to – to better this team in the future. Now, what this does tell me, though, is by saying, you know, we can let these two relievers go and rely on Tyler Thornburg to be our closer, you are pretty much telling people that you're probably not expecting to contend until 2018, realistically 2019, which hopefully it's more like 2018, but likely 2019. But they've got a farm system that's loaded for bear. Now, one of the things I was going to ask, we're going to have Kurt on the show. He couldn't make it on. He had some issues that came up. That's cool. But I want to talk to him about this one of these days because the Brewers farm system you mentioned in some publications has been ranked anywhere from three all the way up to number one because of these acquisitions. And that's awesome for the Brewers. But I wonder how much concern people have at guys like Brett Phillips, guys like Clark, guys like Josh Hader having down years. That they've been a little bit of a disappointment, even Arcia to a degree, uh, hitting 260 in the minors. I wonder how much concern there is across the organization, across baseball, or if they just look at it as a blip on the radar screen. Because honestly, some of these highly touted prospects haven't really panned out. Let me, let me rephrase it. That's a bad word. Haven't produced at the level they thought they were going to in AAA and AA this year. And ironically, when you look at the new rankings, Josh. Uh, uh, Brett Phillips, who was a number two prospect in the organization at the beginning of the season, is all the way down to number nine, partially because of, the, of acquisitions and, and, and some poor play on his part. So long story short, they did a great job. I know they didn't get the hotshot 20-year-old catcher from Cleveland. Let's see how he pans out. Like, talk to me in five years and tell me that Stearns made a mistake and Lucroy hurt the, the franchise. All right, let's, let's let this thing play out before we see ridiculous things like that. And other than that, I think uh, – 
I don't think they could have asked for much more considering what they gave up. And when you throw that into the mix, going back to last year, a trade where they parlayed uh, Para into Zach Davies, who's turned into a good middle-of-the-rotation guy, uh, exceeding some expectations. I, I think the, when you look at the grades and you look at the scores and you look at what Stearns has done uh, since, since he's taken over, you got to give it a solid B-plus with the potential of it becoming an A if these guys pan out. I like what he's done, and look what they got for you – know, you mentioned it, I think you hit it right on the head, uh, the fact that you know, Luke Croy and Jeffress are the Rangers – you get a five-tool center fielder in Lewis Brinson, uh, according to MLBPipeline.com, the number 21 overall, you know, overall prospect in Major League Baseball. You get a, a righty like Luis Ortiz, number 63 overall, according to MLB Pipeline. It's you, you, you're preparing for the future, and you know the fact that people are very excited about Brinson, even the GM for the Rangers, who I'm sure wants to obviously with the media pipe up how much they gave a way to make uh, make sure that they, they got, you know, Lucroy, an all-star, and then Jeffress, uh, a really solid closer. Uh, but it's, you know, Brinson, they're saying, like, you know, you're hearing talk about possibly being a 25-25 player. That's, that, and that's, you know, a budding star. That'd be great. Ortiz, they say, you know, you look at some reports talking about maybe uh, a number, you know, not lower than a number three starter. Uh, and then you have a guy like Phil Beckford, Bickford, who, uh, you know, number one overall prospect for the, you know, San Francisco Giants, which, you know, let's talk about that too. You know, in fact, you get Will Smith, you get these relievers, you know, the, the Indians uh, acquired, uh, it was Andrew Miller, if I'm not mistaken, from the Yankees, and they gave away the farm. You know, they gave away, you know, they have their number one prospect, their number one prospect overall. Uh, they gave away, it was Justice Sheffield, the left-hander. They gave away a lot just for a reliever. Uh, and which you know, that's why a lot of people were skeptical too, Scotty. If you remember that when you had uh, when you saw the returns back from the Indians for the Lucroy trade, yeah, you have a, a high A catcher that uh, sporting a 42 game hitting streak, but that's you, you know the the two, you know players that were there were top 10, maybe top 20. I think you know uh, Lucroy may have done them a favor with that, and obviously he deserves every right his service in Major League Baseball, and he needs to look out what's best for his family. It's another year where the initial trade was, eh, okay. Um, but then, you know, the, the, the trade, like, for Gogo, for Carlos Gomez to Houston, yielded much bigger results. And then also now, uh, with the you know, now to the Rangers, you're looking at some, some good prospects coming down the line. It, 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 I, with the way things are stacked, and now you have first-round draft pick Corey Ray, who's already number 35, according to MLB Pipeline. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned Trent Clark, Brett Phillips. Who I know Phillips right now, I was just looking at his stats, uh, 221 batting average in 96 games at uh, AA Biloxi. I, I still think, I mean, yeah, this they stacked the... Uh, they stacked this farm system from what two three years ago when it was absolutely the worst, uh, and and they've really rebuilt this to. There's some optimism, but it's gonna. You mentioned it's gonna take some time. Absolutely, and and some of these names, I don't know who, you know, be it Nottingham, be it George Lopez, be it uh, Josh Hader, uh, Corey Ray, Trent Clark. A couple of those guys aren't gonna pan out. That I mean, that's a given. But then you look down at guys like, uh, uh, you know, guys in the low 20s in prospects, you know, Gatewood, uh, Clint Colton. Some of those guys will pan out, much like Luke Roy. Luke Roy wasn't a top prospect in the Brewers uh, farm system. 
he was a mid-level guy. He wasn't terrible. They thought he could be a major leaguer, but they didn't expect him to be a two-time All-Star. So you got to take that with a grain of salt, too. I mean, think back to when the Brewers had their boon of young players coming up, and right after that, Prince Fielder, Ricky Weeks, Ryan Braun class, uh, came a guy named Tyler Green, who was the organization player of the year two years in a row. Never panned out in a big. That, that's going to happen. You're not going to hit on every one of these guys. But if 50% of these top 10 prospects every year, 50% of them pan out and become uh, reach the potential they're supposed to, then you've got yourself a special team and a special farm club. Now, I wonder what other, uh, you know, looking at the, even before looking beyond the the Brewers, you know, obviously they drop a series, um, bad loss today to the Padres, but you have now the, you know, you have, they, they called up, our, you know, Arcia, obviously their number one prospect in the farm system, not necessarily the hottest start for Arcia, but... What is it because of the third base? They're moving, uh, you know, VR to over to third now. Like, what's the reason for the call up? And uh, I mean, how fast is it? I mean, obviously it's the number one prospect, but yeah, it's going to take some time to acclimate to the big leagues, right? I mean, people shouldn't just be expecting this, you know, the prodigy with the with the bat. It's not mistaken, right? Oh, absolutely. First of all, to answer the first part of the question, why now? Why not? He, they don't lose any service time by doing it now. They were going to do it September 1st anyway. Why not? I mean, I don't think he'll be helped or hindered. He might maybe helped. Let me rephrase that. He can only be helped, not hindered by an extra month in the big leagues. So that said, why not do it? I, it doesn't hurt. Um, it might bring a few fans out in late August and mid-August when – Attendance might start to dwindle at home games. But more importantly, you get his feet wet in low-pressure situations. Let him get used to big league pitching so that maybe next year, maybe, and obviously I'm dreaming here, but maybe next year if they're in, in playing meaningful games late in the season, he's going to have that major league experience under his, his, his belt. As far as what to expect from him, it's his second game. I, I mean, you look at major leaguers, real, real actual major leaguers who have been playing five, six, seven, eight years, and they have one for 28 slumps. So what does it tell me? Is he struggled his first couple games looking at real major league pitching. He looked at a wily veteran who I don't know where he got that life in his arm today in Edwin Jackson and uh, a young pitcher for San Diego last night. But, but you know, I – I don't expect him to come. I didn't expect him to come up. It would have been nice to see him get a base hit just, you know, for posterity in his first game. But I didn't expect him to come up and tear the cover off the ball. Uh, I didn't expect any of that. I just expect. I just wanted to see him progress. I want to see how he plays in the field. And I want to see what we've heard about with, with this great glove and this, these, these abilities. And then eventually see him start putting the ball in play more and, driving the ball. I don't think he's ever going to be a 20, 25 home run guy, but showing some gap power and doing all that. I mean, that's what I want to see. I don't, I don't really expect a whole lot other than that. Looking around major league baseball, what else did you see winners, losers from other trades that right before the major league baseball trade deadline? Well, there were some weird ones. Let's do the weird ones first. To me, the weirdest trade was Matt Kemp being traded to Atlanta. Atlanta's going nowhere, and neither is San Diego. 
So I wasn't surprised to see Kemp traded, but I thought he'd go to a contender. It was a, a very weird trade to see happen uh, amongst two teams that really aren't playing for anything major. I think the Yankees did a nice job stockpiling, and it's so hard to see the Yankees be in that seller mode because um, where they aren't in the standings, if this was the old Yankees from five, ten years ago, they'd be buyers, even at five and a half out, six and a half out. Um, but they were able to parlay their relief pitchers, uh, again, that they didn't think they needed because they weren't contending, and parlay those into great young players. You know, Cleveland, I think, was, was they got a reliever in Miller, but they didn't get that addition to their lineup from, from a hitting standpoint, and I think that hurt. I think the Mets pulled off a nice trade with Jay Bruce, uh, adding some more power to a team that was uh, the National League champions last year. So I think those are the things that stand out the most. Uh, are there any trades that, that you saw that you either thought were great or maybe scratched your head over? No, I mean, I, I didn't keep it. I'll be, and I'll be honest, I, I focused mostly on the Brewers this weekend, it, uh, on the Brewers this weekend when I could in between working on edits for the book. Uh, that's just being being honest. But uh, nothing uh, I'll be intrigued to see how just I – mean, I'm, I'm more intrigued with – I guess, you know, and that's a cop out, but this was the Brewers and just, I'm really just wanting to see, uh, I mean, obviously it's going to take a while, but, um, you know, like just how the, these, these guys perform and uh, the, especially with, uh, I think Brinson and how he develops further. Uh, and he, I know he was having a down year, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, down in double A and, and then uh, he led off uh, over, it was a double A or triple A. Uh, for the Rangers, and then you know he starts off hot. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, see how uh, he really, I'll say, really kind of just makes an impact, and see how fast he gets. See if they see him this, you know, coming with September call-ups. I mean, uh, one mm-hmm. thing that's interesting. I mean, maybe the one thing I'd say with the trade, or not really even a trade, but the Yasiel Puig situation in LA is, um, I know that he was sent down to the minors. And yep. so, you know, and, and, and it seems like his relationship with the Dodgers is next to nothing. Uh, so um, I, I want to see, you know, who are the possible suitors there, uh, if, if any, and, uh, you know, where do they go from here? And, and is, is he just not that, you know what I mean? Like, well, the Dodgers have bigger issues than Puig because they're able to get Josh Reddick who replaces Puig. They've had injuries all throughout their roster all year. But today, Clayton Kershaw was shifted to the 60-day disabled list. Um, those are concerns. I mean, the Dodgers, when healthy with that payroll, should be contending, um, obviously, every year. But injuries are things you can't necessarily um, are things you can't necessarily plan for. So uh, there you have it. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's a problem. I mean, with all those injuries and whatnot, that, that, that's an issue. And you know, let's, let's, let's you know uh, we've already spent what, about 20 minutes on the dra- on the uh, on the trade deadline. Real quick, you, I don't know if you saw the picture of it. Looks like in the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame that or not the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame, but the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Looks like Brett Favre, who's being inducted this weekend, uh, with a with a pretty inc- amazing cl- class. You know, Kevin Green, Tony Dungy included. That he uh, a couple of things. You saw his Packers jersey, of course, but then you saw. The Vikings jersey. Uh, your initial thoughts when you saw that Vikings jersey in that pick in his quote-unquote locker for the Hall of Fame? 
I don't understand it. I think it's more poking at the Packers because if you want to make the argument that, well, he's just representing every team he played for, then where's the Jets jersey? I mean, played one year with the Jets. He played two years with Minnesota, but that last year was a disaster. So, you know, maybe he, he, he could argue and say, oh, yeah, he's reveled in that time because they went to the NFC Championship game and they had a great regular season. Fine. I guess, you know what, you're entitled to do whatever you want. I just think it's, I think it's strange. It's something normally you don't think. Reggie White didn't have an Eagles jersey when he went into the Hall of Fame. And he played there a long time. Yeah, no, I will say, though, too, uh, and I'm reading this is from Rob Zemowski of ESPN.com, saying, uh, he says, quote, however, four Packers spew venom toward Fard like some did when he played for the rival Vikings. It appears he had nothing to do with it. Quote, the Hall's curatorial staff selects the artifacts for exhibit. Peter Fierro, Vice President of Communications for the Hall of Fame, told ESPN. So basically, the Packers jersey is the one Favre wore when he broke the NFL career touchdown pass record. The Vikings jersey is the one he wore when he broke Jim Marshall's NFL record for consecutive starts. So uh, that, that's the reason why that they have it in there. So it wasn't necessarily, I mean, yeah, the initial thoughts, they said, yeah, I think people were kind of just weirded out. So it wasn't necessarily Favre stuff. But it looks like it was from the Hall of Fame, uh, so I, I, I don't know. It, it still it still leaves a bad taste in, in, in Packers fans' mouths. I can understand that in that fake locker, but yeah, it still stings. I mean, you can definitely tell like when people saw that you know some of the buzz on social media that uh, he didn't told on talk about on I think also on uh, on the radio on for for some sports radio, people weren't okay with it. They were not necessarily that fond of a guy like. You know, like, like Favre, who, you know, we, you can reasonably say that he went to Minnesota to stick it to Ted Thompson and the Green Bay Packers. Uh, mm-hmm. To have that on there, it, you know, the cut, the cut's still there. It's still, uh, you know, it's scabbed over, but, you know, the, there's, it, the wound's still pretty deep, you know, even though no matter how much the people have forgiven him. Uh, that, that just opened up, a, almost opened up more of a, a, a sore uh, in Packer Nation. Yeah, and I suppose if there wasn't the whole backstory, and and that's why I wonder if there was some way that Favre could have said, you know, maybe we shouldn't uh, include that in there. I don't know how much say so he had in it, but um, whatever the case is, are gonna are you gonna be watching the ceremony this weekend? Um, we'll see. Packers meet or the uh, Badgers media day is from twelve twenty to about one fifty. So I may be there. There's also a uh, my wife's sister's uh, bridal shower uh, for her getting married at the end of the month. So I'm you know in between those two things. Hopefully I can catch a little bit of it. Uh, and uh, but uh, in, in also in between a bunch of other stuff that that are going on in our on our levels. But I I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to yeah. I think I'm all, yeah, besides far, which obviously. Uh, that's going to be a great speech. It's headlining. If you saw the what was released from the Pro Football Hall of Fame, he's the last one speaking, so that should be fun. But I'm also like Tony Dungy, who spent a lot of years in the NFL as a head coach. Uh, when you talk to a former player like I did with Donnell Thompson, former Wisconsin linebacker from the two Rose Bowls, two-time captain, former walk-on, played for the Colts for two seasons uh, in the early 2000s, and he just glowed about Tony Dungy compared to a guy like Jim Mora. Uh, it was a night and day in terms of their coaching styles. And uh, I think the exact words that we had with from Donnell were, uh, you know, 
you know, God, family, and football in that order. Uh, and that's how, uh, yeah, that's how Donnell Thompson like talked about that. And he said that if, even with football being third, that Dungy uh, was a, still an amazing head coach uh, in terms of those priorities. So, uh, but that and Kevin Green, you know, I think that's an underrated one. I want to see how obviously uh, former Green Bay Packers linebackers coach always known for, you know, that's the co- one thing that he's known for coaching is just the way he uh, pumped up Clay Matthews that one time uh, during the Super Bowl where the fumble was caused uh, there, but also just, he had a great career. I remember watching him as a kid for the Steelers, for the Panthers. Also remember that WCW time uh, that he was uh, a wrestler for a little bit with against Mongo. I also remember Reggie White versus Mongo with uh, I think it was Gilbert in the background as his uh, quote unquote manager back in the day. But that's a different story for another time. Um, but yeah, no, like I said, man, it's a uh, you know I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, and it's, it's something that I'll definitely DVR and and you know rewatch and. Uh, it's a it's a great feat. Yeah, I'll I'll be watching it likely on DVR. We're supposed to have a baseball tournament in Michigan. Um, however, it sounds like the director of that tournament has disappeared and gone gone rogue, and we might be out some money and might not be going. So then I might be likely to watch it at home, but we'll see. Gotcha. Yeah, it's. I'm wondering, uh, just seeing how that, um, yeah, you know, going into that, you know, obviously the Packers and the Colts are playing in the Hall of Fame game. It should be a very, uh, obviously, people, preseason, five preseason games, you're not going to see Rodgers. It's mostly going to be the Brett Hundley show, although there were, you know, reports from the media who were there for practice today, like Rob Zemofsky and uh, Packer Report, and I believe Jason Wildey. Uh, talking about the fact that uh, Brett Hundley was a little nicked up. Uh, and so let me, let me just take a look at some of the stuff with uh, – no, it wasn't, wasn't Wildy. I think it was – let's take a look. I think it was Rob Domofsky. But uh, it looks like he might have been a little ding, dinged up and um, interesting on that end. Uh, so uh, let me just take a look. Yep. Uh, mentioned that, that uh, Hundley out. Uh, Joe Callahan was taking the number two quarterback reps. So, um, I'm intrigued. You know, we'll see how how much effort. I mean, and, you know, obviously it's the first game of the year, so preseason game. So it's not, you know, you'll see the position battles, the roster battles, where wide receivers are in there, where obviously Jared Aberderis and uh, is fighting for a roster spot along, you know, against the Chef Janis, and uh, I would say. Uh, also, uh, I wouldn't say Ty Montgomery because he's still working his way back. He's still on the PUP list, but the pup list. But you know, usually Janice and then Geronimo Allison and, and those players. And we'll see how Devonte Adams um, makes his return and, and whatnot. So I mean, there, it, we, I'll try to watch that Hall of Fame game as much as possible. But it's still just the first game of the year, yeah, and preseason game. And I just don't know um, how much we can actually really make out make out of it. You know. I 100% agree. And that's why a lot of people, when they were worried about when they looked at the pup list and that, and some of the guys who weren't, I, I did have to remind some people, you do realize that they're playing five preseason games. Maybe they're just trying to get people the required amount of rest that you would want. So, you know, from that standpoint, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too worried about that list yet. Now, come week two of the preseason, you know, meet week two and we're still talking about it, well, then we might have an issue. But for now, 
I'm not I'm not that concerned. Now let me you know we got maybe oh, do another ten or fifteen minutes if we have some time for here on the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Of course, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. We mentioned Aberderis a little bit ago. I mean, a wide receiver, I think, is the big one just because of Aberderis, his Wisconsin ties, Watoma native, you know, tied for the career receptions record in UW history, also owns the single-season receptions record. What, out of those players, and he had a good solid for, he had a good solid first week, right? Don't get me wrong. Like, he had a good solid this week, you know, solid first week, good night during uh, Packers family night. And, you know, he had a rough Monday from what it looked like, a couple of drops from what was reported from uh, reporters seen uh, during practice. But where do you see Aberdares? But where do you see, like, a Janice who showed flashes, obviously, in the game, the playoff game against Arizona, but uh, may not necessarily be the most polished route runner or whatnot. But then you also have, uh, you know, fifth, fifth rounder in Trevor Davis. You have a uh, – you have Geronimo Allison, uh, you know, how many spot? How many one? Uh, let's, let's, I'll break it down this way. How many wide receivers do you think they keep, and which ones do you think they keep? Hmm. Barring injury, I think they keep six. And I know some people have floated out the potential of seven, possibly. But the kid out of Cal, the kid they drafted isn't going to make it through the practice squad process without getting picked up. So. Now you got to ask yourself, Ty Montgomery, will he be healthy? If not, does he start the season on IR? Okay, that solves that problem. Otherwise, Devontae Adams, if he wasn't such a high pick, he might be in danger. I think he's got at least one more year in him before they think about cutting him. That leaves, obviously, Cobb and, and uh, Nelson are blocks. So Aberderis and Janice and, and the, the rookie are probably two of those three make it. And the one that doesn't, it'll be interesting to see. Again, injury could change all that. If Montgomery's not able to start the season, I think it, it, one of those guys gets a stay of execution. As far as who it's going to be, I don't know. I'm not, um, I don't get the luxury to watch him in camp right now. So as far as the preseason games going, I'll, I'll admit, I hate preseason football, but I will watch the game. I'll watch it through the DVR because I can fast forward and look at things that matter. But... I want to see what Janice and Aberderis and, and some of the other young receivers do. And they're the ones that are going to be featured a lot in these preseason games. So they're the ones that are going to get the, the chance to, to shine or, or, or not. Janice showed some flashes. Aberderis is a good route runner. Janice is a better dynamic guy, a little bit more versatile. Again, the rookie can fly. So it does remain to be seen, but... Obviously, the Packers are hoping everyone's healthy, and then that then becomes a tougher decision on to which one of those players might not make the roster. It's very true. No, I'm I'm excited to see how they play it out. Um, uh, from there, too, it, let me ask you one last question about Packers, and we can pivot off of it. Uh, what are the, obviously wide receiver, but what's the other what's the other position for you that you, you want to keep your eye out on? What's, is there is there one in particular that, that's intriguing for you, one other position battle or just position in general? Uh, because, I mean, I was going to say punters, you know, with Tim Mastey and uh, uh, yeah, Tim Mastey and, uh, and, and the kid from Green Bay that used to be the Minnesota punter. Uh, but it seems like, yeah, with Peter Mor- uh, Mortel, but it looks like, I mean, right now Mastey is getting the best, uh, you know, and it's sort of the – 
you know, Giorgio, or, you know, Tavecchio, or, yeah, what is it, um, the kicker, Fred, the left-handed kicker that challenged uh, Mason Crosby a couple years back, maybe lit a fire underneath Maste, uh, who seemed to punt better uh, compared to the Minnesota grad. Um, yeah, I, I don't care about punter. I mean, I will care. Let me rephrase it. Obviously, it's an underrated position that people care about. What I care about, I want to see – what happens with the D-line? I want to see where the depth is, especially with some of the early season suspensions. I want to see inside linebacker. I want to see if Sam Barrington's 100%, if he's back. Uh, the maturity of Jake Ryan, uh, to see if they really can feel comfortable with Clay Matthews going back to the outside where he wants to be. I think those are some really interesting positions right there. Um, perhaps third-string running back, um, because, you, you know, Lacey and Starks are fine. But, again, in this game, injuries can happen, and they can happen quick, and they can pile up. So, you know, depth at that position is important. You talked about, you referenced Brent Hundley earlier. I'd like to see, he's not in a battle for necessarily anything, but I want to see the maturity of him because Packer fans' worst nightmare, obviously, could be Aaron Rodgers missing a game, a few games, multiple games. How ready will he be to have to steer the ship in a pinch? Obviously, if he's got to run the show for the whole season, season's likely over. But if it's for a game or two, a couple series, a half, can he do it? Does he have enough grasp of this offense? So those are really the things that I'm looking at. And, again, I don't look at stats. I'm not going to care what you know Eddie Lacy does in the five carries he's likely to get in game two of preseason or you know the three series that uh, – Jordy Nelson plays in week four of the preseason. Or I'm more concerned about those depth battles because that's where jobs are won and lost, and you've seen it all too many times that those players could end up impacting playoff hopes and championship hopes and everything else based on how good they're able to step up. And uh, let's see. Anything else that's uh, been standing out uh, when it comes to uh, – training camp and whatnot. Uh, I mean, looking at other Badgers, just real quick since we've been uh, got a little bit of hiatus, and Nick Hayden, former Badgers now with uh, Joe Thomas and Joe Schobert over in Cleveland uh, for the Browns there in their rebuild mode again. Uh, you know, Tanner McAvoy, uh, wide, who's kind of a hybrid, obviously, played quarterback, a wide receiver, and safety at UW is now a wide receiver instead of a safety with Pete Carroll in the Seahawks. Uh Anything you're, and that's just Wisconsin-based stuff, just to catch people up on. Um, maybe the one interesting part now, and uh, you know, obviously it's you know people, uh, and I we say this in our book, uh, which hopefully will be released in October uh, this uh, this upcoming year. Uh, we talk about Joel Stave being the most polarizing, arguably the most polarizing student athlete that the Wisconsin Badgers has ever uh, had, that they've ever had, uh, but. He may have a shot at the roster if he can perform well when it comes to the fact that the their third-string quarterback for the Vikings, Taylor Heineke, was on the non-football injury list to start, came to training camp in a boot because, according, it was an article from ESPN that he was trying to help a friend break into his own apartment and tried busting through a double-pane door and tore tendons in his foot when his foot went through the glass. And mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, so, I mean, I, to me, that's interesting because 
Fave, from what it sounded like, didn't have much of a shot, according to some people. We had our friend Christopher Gates from Daily Norseman work on an article with us, this kind of Q&A, and he mentioned that you know there wasn't much talk about the former walk-on, uh, the winningest quarterback in Wisconsin history. But then, you know, if he performs well, maybe there's a shot for him to to be the number three until Heineke comes back, if he can show what he can do. So um, I found that to be interesting. Were there any other news for you? I mean, Ezekiel, I mean, on a broad, big, much bigger scale, Ezekiel Elliott had a hamstring injury from what it looks like, and some people are kind of worried about that um, and and whatnot. No. Um, you know, some of the Nick Foles to Dallas stuff or the fat Tony Romo they were talking about the other day, Dallas gets so much media coverage. I'm not. I don't even complain about it. Whatever, fine. But it's funny some of the ridiculousness that comes out of there. But some talk that Nick Fold could end up as the backup in Dallas. That's an interesting, interesting. Story. Otherwise, I'm waiting to see how you know, it all plays out. You know, there's going to be tons of stories that pop up over time, and uh, over the next four or five weeks before we get to uh, the start of the regular season. So I know there's going to be things that that pique my interest. But early on, I'm just. You know, I'm not in full football mode yet. I probably will be in a week or two. The trade the trade stuff has kept me busy and interested, and now the Brewers will, like, fade into oblivion for a while. Um, and once they even though I, I'm not excited about preseason football, once that Hall of Fame game is played, I think I'll be in, in full football mode at that point. Yeah, I think it'll hit home for me, too, once media day for Badgers on Sunday hits. Uh, that's going to be the big thing for me, where – We'll have access to all the players. We hope to have some interviews up. Uh, I'll, I'll bust out some interviews for the for uh, the Kibasa Kings there. Uh, hopefully talk to Vince Beagle, uh, who talked to people last week during Big Ten Media Day. Sorry that we weren't able to make it out for that, but uh, you should be able to talk to him. Obviously, the Harding questions of when the Bolton Mall is going to come out. Does he have a name for it? Uh, same thing with John Dietzen, the redshirt freshman offensive lineman who, due to a dare, had to shave his head. And I think his may be the most glorious mullet I've Scene along with with it being uh, him being a, a redhead, uh, so no, we'll have some fun there. But we'll also talk uh, some coaches, some former, you know, some players, uh, and we'll also play Paul Chris' press conference uh, as well on the podcast. But um, anything else you want to cover real quick, Scotty? Before we uh, right now it's about nine oh eight here Central Standard Time. Anything else before we take it home? Um, how excited are you about the Olympics in the dirty water? You know it. It's hard, man. I I really don't know what to see. I really don't know what to say uh, with that. It's not a. I'm a little obviously with all in, in, you know. Sometimes social media can make things sound so much worse, but it doesn't. I mean, just talking about the media with theirs, like not having working uh, amenities, and then um, the Zika virus. You know, I'm, heck, man, we're up in Wisconsin, and I'm scared of the Zika virus up here. You know what I mean? It, you know, especially with all the mosquitoes. I don't know if it's bad over by you in Milwaukee, but it's really bad out here in Madison. My wife had, had to run back inside because she got swarmed by about 15 of them, um, you know, within like a you know, square foot. And so uh, that and, the, yeah, the, the dirty water and then, mutilated body that washed up on shore a month or two ago. And then you, you talk, you, you know, you talk about the U S Olympic basketball team. They're not staying in the village. You remember they're staying in, they're staying on a cruise ship. That's outside, you know, it's right off the port of Rio. So 
<laughs> you know, it's like you look at those things. It's just uh, with with also the some police stuff and whatnot. It's it's not. It's hard to be excited. Like I'm excited to to see like and kind of like sit down with my with our kids. Like we're not, our our 20 month old don't comprehend it, but our four and a half year old can watch it for the first time when he's you know four and a half and just see you know, swimmers, you know, like Michael Phelps competing in his last game. See, you can see um, some former UW athletes, or athletes like Kelsey Card, who's going to compete in the, in the discus throw for the United States. Uh, they'll be, he'll be, you know, they'll be able to see like track and field, which is always like track and field is one of my favorite competitions. So you'll be able to see that stuff. But, you know, I would say like if there is a, for me personally, there's a damp, a dampness. To there's, it's my, my enthusiasm compared to other years is hampered. Uh, I don't know how well, you feel on that. You know, I, you know, the the last couple Olympics have been the, the Olympics used to be cool, okay? They've become a, an unmitigated disaster, starting from all the stuff in Russia a few years back with the hotels that weren't complete, and now in some of the things that weren't complete in Brazil, and the the, the water not getting cleaned up, and and some of the other things, and all these things that were promised that don't happen. And it's like everything else in society. Things that used to be fun and used to be great seems like have, you know, again, here's the old man in me, but let's be honest. You didn't, we didn't have these problems in the LA Olympics in 84, which was like so fun watching America just clean up and buying the cups at McDonald's and the placemats. And then, you know, 88 and, and some of the great moments in 92. And it just seems in the last six to eight years, we've had stories about disasters of, of, you know, epic proportion when it comes to infrastructure and housing and some of the other, it's just, again, it, it feels like another cool thing is getting ruined. And, and I don't know. I don't know if you feel the same way or not, but. Yeah, I, I, I think they're trying to make it so big. And it's, it, I mean, it's part of that where uh, I'll even say it for here. And I mean, it's not much of an analogy, but it, to me, it sort of feels similar where you have a fact that, yeah, let's say at UW camp, the campus here, it was University of Wisconsin-Madison. You walk past there, it seems like they're always rebuilding something. They're always trying to build it. And now, they, granted, they have the funds to do so uh, with, with fees and whatnot. They're, they're rebuilding, you know, and, but they're actually being put to use. You take a look at, you know, with Rio, and, you know, there's talks of, I think the Olympic Village is built on, from what I read, now, you know, like, you know, it's, you know, it's supposed to be turned into, like, a, a condo facility later or, whatnot it's just it's hard to i mean you have to have plans with what you have nowadays to use them for the future you know you always see things you know so they're building up these large structures but unlike uw that uh, you know there's obviously a plan for them they're going to be used for quite a while they're always rebuilding once you build that structure at for you you know like in the olympic village and whatnot you're not they're not using them you know like you know they have to use them and you know you have all these swims, you know, like with the track and field stuff, it's just, I mean, I just, I mean, even was it Chicago last, you know, was it, if I'm not mistaken, didn't they try to compete for these Olympics and they didn't get them? Um, right. It just makes you wonder how much they, you know, what would have been used for Chicago? And maybe this is a, you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe it was a, 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 a good thing, a silver lining that they didn't get the Olympics. Uh, because, you, like I said, you have to you have to account for all the constructions and all the renovations and all, uh, and then also security, which I think is going to be a huge, you know, could be a huge concern. Uh, sure. If I'm not mistaken, I thought I, I thought I read, it, if I'm not mistaken, that they, 
um, that the security force may have actually left, you know, they may have fired the security firm a week before the Olympics started. Like, what? You know what I mean? It, this is, um, it, it gets you worried. It gets you worried. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it's lost a little bit of luster for me, too. It has. So, hopefully, hopefully it proves people wrong. Uh, hopefully everyone's safe uh, there. And, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Um, but, uh, my, by the way, last, I would just say the, uh, the last thing. Um, now, I don't, I don't know how much you've kept up with wrestling lately, but the uh, have you had a chance to watch the, the World Cruiserweight Classic? Um, bits and pieces of it. Okay. No, I just want to know your thoughts. Have you had a chance to, to yeah, like, what, have you seen bits and pieces? What have your, been your thoughts of it so far? I've actually liked the aesthetic. It's very much, I know it has like a Street Fighter vibe, you can tell, uh, with the graphics. It, it's kind of a unique presentation. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a mix of kind of a comic book slash video game feel in, in NXT. Obviously, it's filmed there uh, at full sale, but what are your thoughts? Um, you know, I know that that sort of I, – I like cruiserweight wrestling. I, I think that some of the masks have been great. I think the presentation has been great. But I'm, I'm, not as, I'm not as fervent about that sort of style of wrestling as some of my friends in college. Okay, so I like it. I enjoy it. But um, I haven't seen as much of it as I'd like. I'm inter- what I'm more interested in is with the cruiserweight championship coming back to, to WWE, coming back to Raw, how many of the guys are going to retain? They've already signed a few of them. And obviously some of them, some of the older vets might be there for just to have some bodies to give it a little legitimacy. But some of those guys deserve a contract. And I'm really interested to see how that's all going to shape, shape up and, and play out. I am too. And, you know, the, the women's title too, I'm wondering how that'll uh, shape. I mean, obviously Sasha Banks winning the title uh, over Charlotte. But also seeing yeah. SmackDown with all the call-ups they had there. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm intrigued. And also just, like, how they, they utilize that NXT talent because just some of the other talents they've utilized has not necessarily been, I would say, uh, you know, you look at the Ascension, you look at even Neville, who, who's kind of put up, you know, he's coming back from injury, but he, you know, well, he's he got tailed off injury. Yeah, but, you know, there's stuff like that where um, outside of, like, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, maybe necessarily a, a lot of, Success, or maybe that have gotten as over as well, but yeah, um, you know, I'm I'm excited to see how they do, and obviously I think the brand extension is a great thing to to get more talent involved, uh, and they can work their way up from there. Yeah, it'll it'll be cool. Um, speaking of wrestling, I might as well get this out there. Um, so we will have a um show tomorrow, Blue City Wrestling at State Fair. Two shows, one at noon, one at two. Let me tell you who's going to be there. All right. Nikolai Volkov will be there. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, he'll be there. Uh, also on the card, though, will be the Rock and Roll Express taking on Steve Carino and his son, Colby Carino. Oh, boy. Yeah, so that should be fun. Now, let me tell you about the Rock and Roll Express. I'm excited about this. It's kind of my markout moment, Okay. Because um, my, my, here's here's a few times in in wrestling I've gotten to mark out. Did a show with Bobby Heenan, great. Met Mr. Perfect, great. I've never met Ric Flair, that's on my bucket list. And to meet the Rock and Roll Express, 
So I'm going to have three of those things crossed off my list uh, after tomorrow and after the Rock and Roll Express are there. But that's not all. Because you're probably thinking, well, what if we want to see some younger people? Uh, and Bushwhacker Luke and Tatanka will both be in action, but they're not younger. The Tokyo Monster, uh, uh, Kegas, he'll be there, taking on the Beer City Bruiser. Awesome Kong takes on Stacey Shadow. Um, and then, of course, the rest of the BCW roster, which is uh, second to none. So if you're going to the fair and you bring two non-perishables, it's $2 to get in. The wrestling show is free. It's in the new product pavilion. It's air-conditioned so you can get out of the heat and you can watch some great wrestling. Awesome, man. Oh, sounds like a good time. Best of luck to that. enjoy having the uh, fun with that. And, um, yeah, I need to get the family down there to State Fair one of these years. Like, like I really need to get down. Like, I miss, like, I don't know how, like, having the kids right nowadays, but just uh, with them being too young, but... Um, just seeing some of the stuff that they have there. And I, I, I used to always have the Saz's sour cream and onion chives or onion fries, like with the ranch dressing, like favorite thing ever at the fair. Uh, and also the cream puffs, of course. But I think I need to get down there maybe next weekend. Wait till you, you, you'll be surprised what my favorite thing is down there. What's that? Um, every, year, every year I have to find the duck fajitas. Really? Yeah. That does sound good, it's, actually. It's really good. Who sells them? What's the, uh, what's, what's, what's the vendor? What's the vendor? It's in, that, or who's... it's in that Wisconsin products building as you walk towards the Midway, and it's where they have, like, the Bites in and Palermo's Pizza and the potato stand and uh, the grilled cheese. It's, it's in there. It's in one of the buildings as you walk between the, the grandstands Towards the uh, uh, towards the midway, about halfway okay. down. It's it's fabulous. They have fabulous other foods there as well um, from different companies, uh, Wisconsin based. But that one is, is really really good. Awesome, awesome. But uh, on that note, guys, uh, I, don't know, I think we're good. I think we can take it home from here, brother. Um, if you got anything else. Nope, I'm good. I got I got some work to finish up, but other than that, I'm ready to ready to call it a night. Awesome, very cool. No, guys, uh, thanks again for t- tuning in. What we'll do, uh, hopefully, in the next week, we'll we'll get another podcast up. We'll definitely have a lot of audio. Uh, Wisconsin Badgers practice starts up next week. Hopefully, we'll, one of us, uh, some of us, will make it down there uh, to check it out, to take notes, and to have a little bit of fun there. Uh, obviously, some big position battles coming up, and we'll preview those starting next week, uh, along with some of the updates there, guys. And uh, for the Polish Rifle, Scott Wisniewski, uh, this is uh, Jay Kokorowski, Joseph Bacchini, my friends. Thanks again. This is the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Accordion solo, American Polka, played by Mr. John J. Kimball, Edison Records. Thank <laughs> you.